When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Homeschool with Moxie podcast, where our goal is to inspire and encourage you with actionable strategies to take you from overwhelmed to confident in your homeschool adventure. I'm your host, Abby Banks, and this is episode 166. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Jim Hodges Audiobooks. If you're looking for classic literature like Treasure Island or G.A. Henty historical novels, or maybe old-time radio shows, Jim Hodges Audiobooks has it all. They even offer study guides to enhance your learning, and their Download a Month Club is probably their best value. You can find them at 41more.com forward slash audio. Jim Hodges Audiobooks, because mom can only read so much. Welcome to episode 166. You can find the show notes at 41more.com forward slash 166. Today, I was able to chat with David Hazel. He's one of the founders of My Father's World Homeschool Curriculum. He's passionate about families serving Christ together and a strong believer in the value of home education for all ages. The Hazel family spent eight years in Russia, where David served in Bible translation in Siberia and Moscow, helping to coordinate Bible translations into more than 70 languages. David has also been involved in homeschooling since 1987, several of those years as the primary homeschooling parent. Today, David and his wife, Marie, work together developing My Father's World curriculum, encouraging families to see the world through God's eyes, and providing support for Bible translation. So David is a great one to speak to us about today's topic, which is introducing you to My Father's World curriculum, but also to the family learning cycle approach, which is what they call the collaborative education educational experience, or we might say homeschooling multiple ages together, because I know when you're homeschooling and you have more than one child, you can sometimes feel like you're going to go crazy trying to meet everyone's needs. But if you learn some of the secrets that David's going to share today about how does a family learning cycle approach work? What does it look like? What are the benefits? And then even how does My Father's World curriculum help you in that goal of having a a really cohesive homeschooling time where you're you're together with all ages and stages. If this sounds interesting to you, then I know you're going to love this chat I had with David. So listen in. You're going to get a lot of good tips. Um, if you've ever looked at My Father's World and you just wanted to know a little bit more about it, this is a great episode for that as well. So we will put links where you can find everything David mentions in this podcast, of course, in the show notes at 41more.com forward slash 166. And now here's my conversation with David Hazel from My Father's World. David, we are so happy to have you here today. We're going to talk about some great topics that I know homeschool moms really want to know about. But before we get into the nitty gritty, go ahead and introduce yourself to my audience. Uh, Well, my wife and I, Marie and David Hazel, uh, founded My Father's World um, 
in uh, really about 1998. Um, before that, my wife was a K through 12 certified teacher uh, working in a Christian school up until about 1992. From 92 to 2000, we were actually in Russia serving as uh, full-time missionaries with our six kids um, in the area of Bible translation. We came back to the United States to further my father's world, which had already been kick-started before we even returned. And um, really, we just saw that there was this great need for um, a, a curriculum that, you know, took in what I, we, we would call homeschool for everyone else, right? It's the, it's the busy mom. It's the non-teacher. It's the, you know, kids that are, you know, you have academic kids and then at the same time you have special needs kids and you have kids in between and they learn differently. And my wife really had a model of multi-sensory learning. Um, but we really came home to start this business as a, uh, as a generosity point. We lived overseas and we realized that we could start businesses to give money away. And so that's what we do. We start not only my father's world, we have a print shop, we have a, a retreat center, we have a few other things that we do. And all we do is we generate income to give money to Bible translation and the spread of God's word and training centers around the world. So were you homeschooling then before you went to Russia with your family? We had a little bit of homeschool experience before then. We had investigated in the 1980s and came across uh, uh, Susan Schaefer Macaulay's book, For the Children's Sake, that we put in all. But my wife was able to be hired by a small Christian school that gave her total freedom with her, student, with her own student in, in the program. And uh, so before... Uh, we homeschooled a little bit, but we um, we left uh, for Russia, and then we realized we had like half had to half homeschool because they were in Russian schools. But we taught the English part when we came back. Um, I homeschooled full time for a year or two while my wife got a job as a teacher, and then we just went full blast into homeschooling um, in about 2000. I was on the speaking circuit from 2000 to about 2013 14 throughout all the homeschool conventions. Wow. And so what is homeschooling in Russia like? And I mean, this is, you said the 90s, the late 90s? Yeah, well, homeschooling in Russia when you're a foreigner wasn't a problem. There was a little model of of it available for people that had either traveling kids or very sick kids uh, as far as Russia is concerned. But my kids, I mean, they let foreigners do what foreigners will do. Um, But we sent our kids full-time to Russian schools at the same time. Now we learned a lot about how public systems can affect your children. We still are paying consequences for some of that years later. And that's a piece of it. And I think the same thing right now, it's urgent to get every child out of public school, whether that is school or homeschool, homeschool, obviously for many people, that's great. Some people can't do it. So we're starting micro schools which are small neighborhood, locally controlled, parent controlled, homeschool hybrids and things of that nature. Um, where I'm working with a hundred of those right now, trying to get them off the ground. And that's a great segue to our main topic, because I think um, when parents, when parents come to the realization, okay, 
my kids need to be homeschooled or some version of that. The thing that concerns them the most is if they have more than one child and they're going, how do I do this with many children? And maybe that's why the hybrid model is so popular because you have someone holding your hand and kind of structuring things a little bit for you, right? Um, so let's talk about the the homeschooling multiple ages because I think this is the beauty of homeschooling is you have this family environment, you're homeschooling everyone together, but it's also the most overwhelming component. And when you're a very new homeschool family, you think this is impossible. How does this even work? So can you first talk about, like maybe you've seen this also as you're starting these hybrid schools, like what are the fears families have about meeting all their kids' needs? What What is yeah. going through their mind? Well, meeting their all their kids' needs, we can go back to our own children. We were homeschooling six, okay? So we had six multi-age. Um, when my wife wrote her curriculum, she wrote it as a one-room schoolhouse. It actually wasn't intended to be used by homeschoolers first. But in the 1990s, nobody was interested in one-room schoolhouses. After 2020, all kinds of one-room schoolhouses are super interested. So homeschoolers kind of took us over, basically, and then we just marketed to homeschoolers and homeschoolers went well because it is that multi-age. Now, like I said, homes, we wrote for what I say, homeschool for everyone else. For some reason, a lot of homeschool curriculums, Christian schools curriculums, well, first, if you take Christian school curriculums and you adapt them into a homeschool, you know, your standard textbook style curriculums, I don't need to say who those are, but if you adapt those in, it's, this is second grade, this is third grade, this is fourth grade, this is fifth grade. And so you're all over the page and it's six hours a day all over the page for all your kids. Impossible. That's what we saw. That's for schools. Then you have people who are really smart. So they get a history program and they write a history program that is so overwhelming. You don't have time for language arts and math and little kids. Okay. So what we did is we write, we say we wrote for everyone else. We had six kids. So we looked at our program and said, okay, mom only has six to eight hours a day. She has laundry. She has other things to do beyond just homeschooling. So how do we organize that? So what's, what's really unique about my father's world is she wrote what I call a substitute teacher's lesson plan. So it is for you to follow. She can be the teacher. She has thought about everything they need from, from preschool through 12th grade and graduation. So if you teach what she taught, told you to teach, you will be preparing your, your children all the way through. Then she said, okay, we need a multi-age cycle for children who can read. So second through eighth graders, we kind of say that's our multi-age cycle. They already know how to read third through eighth, second, sometimes not yet. Okay, third through eighth grade. So we created a multi-age cycle that the family could use. And we said that can only take four hours a day. It has to cover all subjects, science, art, Bible, reading, writing, math, character development, children's literature, foreign language, the whole nine yards for those third through sixth graders, seventh and eighth graders. It can take a little longer. They can do some independent work, uh, but it could only take mom four hours to teach that section. And in that, she has little kids. So we need to make 90 minutes of independent work so that that mom can go down and teach a kindergartner or a preschooler or a first grader how to read. So what she did is she created independent act activities to take about 90 minutes of the four hours. And then she moved down and she said, okay, now I only have 90 minutes to teach phonics for my kindergartner. So she's going to make sure she has phonics, Bible, no, no less than phonics, Bible, and math done 
right? But she did. I wrote a, a, a wonderful kindergarten program that takes 90 minutes and it comes science, art, reading, writing, math, character development, children's literature, uh, the whole nine yards, right? And that takes 90 minutes. Now, that's great because now if you only have a kindergartner, you've got a program that takes 90 minutes. Kids don't need to go to school at five years old for more than 90 minutes. Well, that's, they need to be touching things. And it was hands-on. We, another thing we threw is kids learn multisensorily. So auditory, visual, tactile, and a long lost, um, a long lost sense that we don't really ca- talk about is talking, narration, telling you what you're learning. So that talking child, I'm a communicative learner. I don't, I learn with auditory, uh, auditory, visual, and, and tactically, but if I want to permanently put it within myself, I need to talk it through with somebody. And that is what that talking child is doing that we're constantly saying, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. We need to bring them out. We need to give them opportunity to talk. Well, now we need to teach them how to control when they're using that talk, but that talk is an important learning part. So that 90 minutes plugged into the four hours, you can teach up through seventh or eighth grade, right? In in four hours a day, four days a week with light and independent Fridays and some independent work for seventh and eighth graders. Now, why did we go four days a week? Because now we're gonna have high schoolers. So we wrote an independent program to high schoolers so that they can do Monday through Thursday on their own and Friday they could meet for a few hours with their parent and kind of review the week. So that all was designed to be able, this is the one room schoolhouse method, right? The one room schoolhouse method is, is people are learning all, all together. So then people ask, well, how do you teach a, a fourth and a eighth grader together? And I say, well, let's just say only two subjects that are grade level are language arts and math, because you have to learn to read before you can write sentences. You have to learn to write sentences before you can write paragraphs. You have to write paragraphs before you can learn to write papers. All right. The same thing with math. You have to learn to add, you know, kind of the, the, the philosophy of numbers first. Then you then you can start learning to add. Then you can learn how to do all the other operations, but they build and stack on each other. So those are the only two uh, uh, grade level subjects. If you're learning Abraham Lincoln, it doesn't matter whether you're second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. Matter of fact, most of us don't know what year we learned about Abraham Lincoln or Brazil because it is not grade level. How do you grade level a topic like Abraham Lincoln? What's well, very easy. Kindergartner draws a picture. Preschooler scribbles a picture. Mom writes some words for him. Kindergartner writes a picture and writes one word, hat, okay? Because Abraham Lincoln's wearing a hat or something like that. Then a first grader maybe writes a sentence and a second grader writes two sentences. Then a third grader writes a short three or four sentences. By the time you're in fourth or fifth grade, you're writing one or two or three paragraphs. And what the way we do seventh and eighth graders is we say write a report, two to four pages, or eventually once a year, you write a full report, maybe 18 pages, Right. So that's the goal of how you can grade level the very same topic together using almost the same books. Yes, there's a little more research done by the older children, but the younger children, 
Um, I mean, it's we, the color picture, a matter of fact, adults. When we want information, we Google it. Or back way when we would pick up Reader's Digest, right? These are fourth grade reading levels or Sports Illustrated, fourth grade reading levels. We would pick up younger picture books to grab information quickly. We didn't all turn to Britannica, mm-hmm. right? And yet we as homeschoolers sometimes think that we have to teach like Britannica. But we don't. They don't retain that information. They take a test, they get a grade, then they forget it. I got straight A's all the way through school. I graduated magna cum laude. I don't think I read 10 books. (laughs) It's the sad truth, isn't it? I can kind of relate to that too. Like I, you know, good at memorizing the facts, but not really having that, that love of learning in a sense. It was almost just, um, you know, you memorized it for the test and then you forgot it. Right. But I think what you're talking about is really important. It does start with us transitioning a mindset. Like we're so used to that school mindset where you said everyone's in a certain grade, you know, and this is where parents start to go, is my child behind, right? They're, they're going, this is a third grade. This is what you have to do in third grade. And my child's behind, but it sounds like with a, with a collaborative type homeschooling style, like you're describing, no one's behind because they're at, everyone's at their own level. Right. Right. And well, everyone's at their own level. But the other thing is, is we try to levels are artificially put together by grades. Okay. I, I, I my recent connections with uh, Sam Sorbo, Kevin Sorbo's wife, um, and we were talking and she uses the word school injured. We've all been school injured. We've been injured to think that schools need certified teachers, certified teachers who certifies them, woke institutions. Okay. Oh, do I really want a woke institution certifying me? Right. Okay. School injured in that everything is grade level. Right. Well, who said that learning Abraham Lincoln is a fourth grade assignment? Nothing, nobody but a test. It's not really that. So not only you're on your level, but your whole themes have to be kind of shifted. You don't see it as a one room schoolhouse. You know, it was actually the intent all the way back. And I've got some quotes now going all the way back to 1820, when they began be, began to want to public school us, it wasn't until po- 1865 post-Civil War that they actually did. And I actually found the word socialization because people say, oh, I want my children socialized. Okay. That was an 1865 term that came up and it, and, and it was at the time, post-Civil War, American schools were to serve the ideological and political, not intellectual purposes. This is 1865, out of the one-room schoolhouses. This is just the beginning of out of the one-room schoolhouses. Okay, they're not to generate independent, uh, they, they were not to generate independent or self-governing citizens, but ones that would be easily governed. Mm-hmm. And then they gave it a word. This will socialize them. So what we use, I like to say, oh, should my child be socialized? Um, Do you want them to be socialist? So I think we don't understand that they wanted us to think that schools socialized us in a sense of made us better communicators socialize. But they actually have that term way before we use it and worry about it. We've been school injured to think that schools socialize us. They don't socialize us. They teach us how to interact with second graders and second graders. How many of your friends are exactly 
your age. Right. That That's is not an real artificial. Yeah. That is artificial. Yeah. When my homeschooled child went to the university, uh, the dean of students at the University of Missouri of Science and Technology said that he can identify homeschoolers on the very first day when they're meeting the students because they're more socialized. They look us in the eye as teachers. They move from group to group. They don't click up. And I thought, ah, that's great illustration to how what we can do. Now, we're actually trying to create an alternate to university right now as well. We go already from three-year-olds to 12th grade, but we're serving with another organization called Unbound. You can see that at beunbound.us. But that is for um, post-high school or we're moving it into our high school. They are actually using it to coach our high schoolers. We now meet with coach. Our high schoolers now can have a choice to meet with a coach every two weeks because at high school level, sometimes high schoolers don't really want to see mom as their authority. So mom now can just kind of guide them and direct them and get this coach to kind of encourage them. You know, you're still schooling together, but you have a second, another adult, another graduate to kind of be alongside, make sure they staying up on, on time and tap topic. Cool. So you're, wow. You're, so you're expanding quite a bit then at the, at the upper grades. That's interesting. Very nice. Well, you know, big question. We, and we don't, we don't like it, but most people think they can't, they can't teach high, high school. Right. We know they can mm-hmm. because we know that high school, our high school is actually stronger than public school high school by a long shot. Um, so again, school injured, we believe that we have to go to, go to high school in order to get activity. That's not a true statement in our little tiny town here. We have theater for homeschoolers. We have, um, gym days. We have a baseball team. We have a track team. We have three softball team. I mean, three volleyball teams of different groups. Um, and, and Springfield, Missouri has over 500 homeschool basketball teams and they bring college they bring college people in to watch them for scholarships to those to those at, at that annual event around Easter time every year with the, the, all those te- homeschool teams. So it's quite fascinating. I think we have been again school injured to think that's the only way. But then the other question is: Really, have we made sports a god in a, in its own kind of a capacity? Love sports. I must. I love to play them, but to make them the center of somebody's education. I'm not sure it's the best choice. Right. Now, talking about the the way you've set up My Father's World, it does sound like you're a blend. Tell me if I'm wrong, but you're really big into the living books versus the textbook approach. So it kind of sounds like a bit of Charlotte Mason, maybe a little classical. You know, you mentioned narration. These are all these things that I know we don't have to peg ourselves as one style, but it sounds like you're a nice mix of kind of those methods. Is that how you would kind of describe it? We actually put not only those methods but many methods on a piece of paper we wrote their strengths and their weaknesses Mm -hmm. and we collected their strengths all onto one page and said if we could just use their strengths could we leave their weaknesses on the side so um classical education great example we would classify ourselves and we're now starting to use this word a whole lot more because there's a confusion between hebraic classical and greek classical Greek and Roman classical is a man-centered classical education that comes out of public schools and Christian schools 
We are Greek classical in thinking. We study false gods more than we study our own God. Hebraic classical puts their put God is the center of the of the of the universe. It's the Jewish method of of using the scripture as a core component to anything else you learn. So our first reader is a Bible reader. Our first full reader for a second grader is a full second grade reading level Bible along with other things. So we're going to take we're going to take a Hebraic classical approach. We are clearly classical. We do classical things. Charlotte Mason, misunderstanding about Charlotte Mason is she say, oh, it's Charlotte Mason, not classical. That's not true. She was a practical classical educator. She took all the classical things and she put practicality to them. Right. So if one of the classical methods was to learn a foreign language like Latin or Greek, she said, well, I think we should learn French first because that's our closest. So so she would learn French and then she would learn Latin and Greek roots and things of that nature. OK, because of her timing. Um, so we do we 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 put in we put in Latin and Greek as far as roots and vocabulary building and other things, but not necessarily a full course. Now, that is not a non-classical way the problem is is we we say well why did our forefathers learn greek and and latin we say oh well we have to too because they did they couldn't read the magna carta in english it wasn't available yet so you had you you went back to these old documents right and you had to get them in greek or latin so they had to have that in order to make that a part of their So we need Greek and Latin to build our language, but we don't need it to read anymore. English is the modern day Latin language in a sense. It's the world language with 70 to 80 percent of all books in English. So what we're going to try and do is work that into the system. Yes, we lots of Charlotte Mason timelines, early Bible. She would always say, get children into the Bible as early as possible. Uh, she no twaddle, no extra worksheets, no tests, okay, and things of that nature. Yes, there's a reason for tests when you're not around a child, but when you're around a child, you don't test them. You test the child when you need to know whether their skill is that skill when they're not present with you. High schoolers are doing their own work. We need to test them to see if they actually did the work. Mm-hmm. That is a test. If you give your child a test, you know they can pass. You are not giving them a test. You're giving yourself a pat on the back. okay if you want to give a test you need to give them a test that students can fail because that is a true test they have to have the capacity to pass or fail when they take it and that is actually what a test is so we kind of move away that then we're living books is another great thing we move to living books but most living book curriculum or charlotte mason curriculum will say oh i don't want any textbooks okay so how many living books can you find on the Philistines? Almost none. So if what we do is we take a textbook and we would draw the clips from them on things we can't find living books in. So we read living books on the Greeks and the Romans and the Babylonians, and then we throw in the, the Philistines and the Assyrians that we can't find living books on right readily and we mix it up and we read aloud and we read above grade level and we read below grade level and we have four different kinds of reading built into the program because we're trying to focus on retention now besides 
Um, we also have literature. We have more literature in our curriculum than any other program, except we sell you less. So we sell you only mandatory books that we know 100% you can get through all the way in your year if you follow our lesson plans. Very simply and not all day, four hours a day, four days a week with Light Independent Fridays. But we started a concept that we actually even trademarked called Book Basket. And this is going to the library and we thematically have reviewed over 4,000 books, um, well, 40,000 books of which we've chosen 4,000 books and we've put them in, a, in the back of ours as a library list, knowing that every library won't have all these books, but every library might have some of these books and they're thematically organized by whatever we're teaching that week. That's really helpful to know. Families will will love to know that. So it sounds like you are a great blend of everything, but you kind of take the guesswork, I guess, out of a mom piecing it together herself. That's the benefit, right, of my father's world is you've done the, the all the hard work of thinking through what's my second grader doing, my fourth grader, my sixth grader. So ta- I know we don't have much time uh, left before Zoom kicks us off here, but can you just tell families, okay, if they are interested and they have several kids across grade levels, where do they start? Like, how do they know which package to choose for, you know, you, you have a second grader, fourth grader, sixth grader. What, how do they know where to go? Well, we, we always start by placing our oldest child because that helps to place the whole family. So you place the oldest child first, then you get their language arts and math. After that, if they're second grader older and they're, they go into the same package as the older child, um, and then they will get their language arts and math. After that, you move to kindergarten and first grader, which means you do have to buy entire packages for kindergarten and first grade because they're so short, 90 minutes. Um, We don't want you to have to do all the science or all the art, all the Bible, but we've learned also that if we are a hands-on project oriented and little hands can do projects different than big hands. So we want you to do some of the little hands-on projects, but they're simple hands-on projects. That's another thing we do is we simplify the hands-on. So if somebody tells you to make this very complicated sundial by going and getting plywood and cutting up this big piece of plywood, we know no mom's doing that. Most moms aren't doing that. We say, just take a pencil and stick it in the clay and put it in the window and watch the saddle. Okay. That's our kinds of hands-on projects. Okay. Really simplified. But then you work your way down. Um, And when I say place your oldest child first, your oldest child who's eighth grade and under your upper children, it's really simple because we do not try to connect our high schooler with the rest of the family. We've discovered by doing that, you either handicap the high schooler by giving them less education than they ought to be getting to go forward in life, or you over-educate the younger kids trying to keep them up with the older child. Mm -hmm. So we really take a hard break there. And really work on making sure that they're getting what we call uh, Carnegie credits, which were designed in the 1930s, which said that child is doing 60 to 90 minutes of high school level work on a topic. All right. For 150, 120 to 150 hours a year for a full credit. And we've timed everything. That's the other thing. We take the guesswork out. We pilot all of our science projects. And if it doesn't work for almost everybody, we don't put it in the product. We don't put it in. 
a lot. I love these all these curriculum writers, but a lot of you you give their project and it's like that failed. Mm-hmm. Well, that failed because I'm at 9,000 feet above sea level. That failed because it's winter. That failed because I'm in Florida. We went and, and really researched and put out feelers so our science projects really work. And then we made sure they were simple. 10 to 15 minutes, any project should be able to be done, finished and cleaned up. So the main fact is you place your oldest child under eighth grade and then everyone goes from there. So that's, and I really- Agree with you. I love that you're saying high school is their own thing. I found that too. When you're trying to put them with the younger kids, it does not work. So I I agree with you there. Good, good idea for that hard break at after eighth grade. And we make it more independent. We make it almost exclusively independent. So that's what helps. Which they should be by then anyway. (laughs) So awesome. Well, this has been so helpful, David. If families want to learn more, where should they find you online? Can you give us a few places to go? Yes. MFWbooks.com is going to be the main website. If you put in slash micro school, you're going to see things more on micro schools. If you put slash classical, you're going to find things more on that page on classical, Hebraic classical. Uh, we probably have one. I don't know whether it's slash Charlotte Mason, but I think it's slash Charlotte Mason. It take you to the Charlotte Mason page. Then we have christianpreschool.com. Christianpreschool.com is just the three youngest programs and it is designed without homeschool in mind. I mean, you can homeschool them, but it has a family package, but it also has a daycare package and a preschool package on christianpreschool.com. Um, another place that uh, we can be found is mfwbooks.com slash vision. And that's a vision conference that we do. Um, so those are multiple places that will connect you. Um, and we got a chat on there and our, our great staff will get back to you if you have any specific questions. Well, thank you for joining us today. I know homeschool moms will love hearing an inside uh, peek into why you created My Father's World and how it works. And I, I think it's a great, I think it's a great model. So we'll link to everything in the show notes, but thank you so much, David. It was wonderful talking with you. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to check out the show notes at 41more.com forward slash 166, and we will have links to everything that is mentioned in today's episode. Join us again next week for another awesome interview. And in the meantime, happy homeschooling.